You're listening to the British GT Fan Show. This show is for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, redistributed or used in any other form without permission. For more information about this, please visit our website www.bgtfshow.co.uk or contact us via our social media at bgtfshow. Hello and welcome to part two of our first guest special episode of 2021 for the British GT Fan Show, fuelled by TCF Sports Cars. Our first guest is none other than Team Parker Racing's driver Scott Malvin. In part one of this interview, we covered Scott's career to date and now he takes on questions from our listeners as well as our quickfire questions. The British GT Fan Show is hosted by Sarah Smith alongside resident British GT expert Nicholas Smith. That's the end of the more formal questions. And when we say more formal, we use that term loosely, as you can tell. Sarah's got the listener questions for you here. I do, although you keep stealing some. Oh, no. (laughs) How have I stolen some? You've paraphrased two so far. But I'm paying attention. It's all good. (laughs) <laughs> I was looking at my list of questions and responding to what was I'm sorry <laughs> don't yeah, apologise to me apologise to here, Phil and so edit it out <laughs> no it's all good clever clever okay. editing be fine yeah so as Nick had said earlier unsurprisingly we've got quite a few questions about your new chariot yes um, but we've got a nice easy one to start off with uh, Stu Beck on Reddit has asked, coffee or tea? Depends what time of the day it is. <laughs> coffee in the morning, tea during the day. That's fair enough. And after a race? Uh, hopefully champagne. But <laughs> I thought you wear that rather than drink it. At least <laughs> well, <kind> of... <laughs> it depends what champagne British GT are giving out, really, doesn't it? If it's the good stuff, then I'm drinking it. If it's not so good, then we're spraying it. <laughs> what champagne do British GT give out? Because it's just got Calais Wine Store label over it now, isn't it? I don't know. I'm going to, Joe, what? I'm actually going to, I've got one in front of me. I'm going to have a look. I've never actually looked. <laughs> yeah. Speak to Mr. Attell. If it isn't Dom, you'll spray it. Yeah? <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's all the labels have been taken off. <laughs> no. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing to identify. Uh, so um, no no Formula One for you now then, because it's all um, Italian carver now rather than champagne, isn't it? <laughs> Is it? <laughs> no. Oh, that's no good. So our next question is a name that's actually cropped up earlier today. Okay. Um, I'm not going to say who this is, first of all. I am going to ask the question, as it will give it away. Okay. Uh, but this one is, as many have tried and failed... Uh, JJ Leto and Andrea Caldarelli, to name but a few. Is being quicker than Tom Huxtable in a pro kart your greatest career achievement to date? Uh, it's certainly up there. Um, <laughs> I think we can guess who that one's from. <clears throat> yes. I don't, I, I don't know. I'm not sure. It'd be tough to guess, but um, 
I'm guessing it's from someone with blonde floppy hair. So, but yes, being being quicker than Tom Huxtable is in a pro cut at Le Mans is definitely a highlight of my career for sure. Um, you know, expected yeah, I mean, really. Sorry, yeah. Tom. <laughs> he actually gave me a little bit of background um, about this, which fit in quite nicely with oh, kind of the research that we've done as well. Um, and he mentioned that obviously he did the Le Mans 24 hour kart race with you. Um, he did. But you are the only driver that he's worked with that's been quicker than him. Yeah, it's been, he's very, very good in a go kart, especially in a pro kart. It was his, you know, he, he raced Le Mans 24 kart races, uh, endur- kart endurance races a lot. Um, and yeah, I, I, it, I wasn't quicker than him straight away, put it that way. <laughs> um, he was pretty handy, but no, that, that Le Mans 24 weekend is, um, a weekend I will <laughs> regret to remember for a long time. <laughs> so it was very, very interesting weekend and probably something I shouldn't talk about on, on a podcast. <laughs> yeah, thanks Tom. <laughs> So we've got a couple of questions uh, from Jimmy Cranberry, who is a Reddit user. Uh, we kind of touched a little bit on this first one, but he asked, you found the transition to sports car racing when you originally made the switch uh, from single seat that he was trackside at a number of your races and says hi. Going from a car that was relatively low power, low grip. All right, the Renault had a little bit more grip. Um into the radical um which was a lot of grip and quite you know a reasonable amount of power but quite a lot heavier and not as refined um it's a bit more agricultural than the single seaters so kind of accepting that it's not ever gonna feel as good as a single seater Mm. you know and it's not gonna be it's never gonna be perfect like a single seater can be um accepting that was took a while um for me like to accept mentally um but also then sharing with another person um is a big difference i would say the bigger difference it's the biggest thing to get your head around um is that you're not the only person driving the car anymore and um essentially you're You've got someone else to think about, mm. you know, if, if the car's not right for me, it might be right for the other person, yeah. you know, and understanding how that dynamic works, um, is effectively what makes a good pro and partnership, you know, understanding that you can't, you know, quite often there'll be a compromise in the setup and it will be heavily weighted in the, in the, on the side of the am, um, to, to bring them and give them the confidence to be faster. So while ultimately, you know, I would like the car a certain way um, and uh, t- to get the absolute best time out of it, that quite often, you know, accepting that that isn't how we're going to win the race <laughs> takes some mental adjustment after you've only ever driven effectively for yourself. Mm. Um, so I would say that's the, that's the biggest transition, um, you know, other than just the, the car not being 
as perfect as a single seater. It's the it's the mental transition that it's not only not perfect, you know, as a as a as a race car, um, but it's never going to be perfect for you again. <laughs> <laughs> it's only ever going to be you. Your job is to make it as good as you possibly can for the other person. So yeah, that was the that was the biggest adjustment for me. Uh, Jimmy Crumbry also uh, says and asks that the Bentley Continental GT3 is quite the large weapons for some UK tracks, particularly places like Alton Park. How did you find racing around some of the more narrow circuits in that GT3? Yeah, that that's uh, that was a uh, it was definitely a challenge. Um, it's uh, there was a couple of big differences with the Bentley, obviously sitting on the right hand side opposed to the left hand side of pretty much every other race car in the world. Um, makes tracks feel very different. Mm. It actually makes them feel quite narrow because most of the tracks here are clockwise, or they're almost all clockwise. So you end up sitting in sort of in the Bentley, almost in the middle of the track most of the time. <laughs> um, so yeah, it can make the tracks feel even narrower than they actually are. Um, and yeah, Alton Park in the Bentley is a is a pretty wild ride. I've got to tell you. Mm, I can imagine. Um, you know, there, there was a test at the the first test for us at the start of last year after the lockdown. Um, we came back from lockdown. The first test was Alton Park. I don't think I've ever seen Nick's eyes so wide <laughs> open after a session. Yeah, I mean, even you know, myself, I, I got out after the first run and was like fully awake at that point, <laughs> you know. So Possibly yeah. wishing that it, the it, uniforms a slightly different colour. <laughs> just uh, it was uh, it was a uh, an eye opener. Let's put it that way. It was an eye opener. You know, it's, it's a big car. Um, looking back, not the best choice for the UK tracks. You know, they are they are all quite small. Uh, you know, on a Grand Prix track, somewhere like Silverstone, you know, big, mm-hmm. open, long sweeping corners. Yeah, you know, but yeah, on the, on the narrower circuits, Snetterton, Donington, Alton Park, especially. Yeah, not 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 um not the easiest, must admit. I'm guessing it's a a bit intimidating around the back of Brunswick Grand Prix as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or any of Brands The Janetta was a right hooker, wasn't it? Um no. It was a or left. Do they build it in both? They build it in both. They do build it in both, yeah. Our one was a left hander. Right, because ironically, are you, are you doing the esports? I'm not. Right. If you drive the G the Janetta GT four on a Seto Corsa, which is modelled off the European GT four cars, it's a right hooker. Is it? Yeah. And I can't drive that car on a Seto Corsa. No, it's really I just, strange. I can't place it. No, it's really but, strange. But it, it, that was a big thing coming from having driven left-hand, left-hand drive for you know a number of years to then all of a sudden being on the right. It, it, your, your positioning just goes all out the window. Um, and, and all your references your reference go out the window. Well. Yeah. yeah, it just all goes wrong. And it's so strange. And then coming back from the Bentley to the Porsche mm-hmm. you know, this this week, all of a sudden everything just made sense again. And you know, me and Nick were both saying that how 
how how strange it is that being on the left hand side makes that much difference. It does. Hmm. So moving on to our next question, which is from Wabaki. Um, who says, hi, Scott, what was the main driver behind the switch to Porsche with a yay? Uh, were there any other contenders? And if so, what was the thought process behind the decision? Uh, okay, so there were some other content. Well, there was another contender, obviously, having worked with AMG in GZ4 and um, knowing how good their product is and seeing how competitive it is in the UK. Um, and how good their customer service is. Uh, that was the the other contender, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, the Porsche, they're very, they're not the easiest car to get, the Porsche. They don't make many. Um, and Porsche are quite selective about who, who can get one. So... Mm-hmm. That was always kind of uh, in the back of our minds that we might not get one. Um, so that was the reason we had to have another yeah. another contender. Um, but yeah, the, the Porsche. You know, when you when we think about it, when you look at it, it on paper, it's for the UK tracks. It's the perfect car. It should be. Um, you know, we get a lot of rain. We've got a lot of tracks where we've got slow corners and lots of traction zones. Obviously, rear engine Porsche traction, not a problem. Um, you know that nice screaming V6, uh, flat six. Sorry, you know nice linear power delivery, um, and, and and it fit well with Parker. Um, Parker were looking. Obviously, we knew that the Bentley program was going to come yeah. to an end. Um, Stu and the team have run Carrera Cup cars for a number of years. They've obviously become very successful. Mm-hmm. Um, they were planning to run Caymans, which they are now this year as well in the Sprint GB Cup Challenge. Um, so it just seemed like the right thing to do, you know, for to make, you know, complete the complete the, the ladder. Mm. Um, and, and, yeah, the deal came together. You know, Nick was very influential in that making that happen um and and stew was as well um you know because like i say it's not easy to just go out and buy one you know know, a poor a a mercedes we could you know you can you buy one off the shelf almost so it's uh whereas with the porsche there's not there's not that many around so yeah we were very very fortunate to to get one so we need to need to make them proud Well, this kind of leads me nicely into the next question that we have. Um, as I said, we've got lots about uh, the yeah. new car. This one being from Quo Vedis SF, um, who basically had asked what your expectations are. And obviously, you've just touched on that saying on paper, it's the perfect car. Um, he then goes on to say that obviously with BOP, the ultimate performance is likely to be quite similar, but the way in places the two cars produce their lap times are going to be quite different. Specifically, do you expect the 911 to be more challenging to drive on the limit due to the rear engine balance? Um, BOP is interesting. It's a talking point of everyone's weekend all the time. Um, mm. 
as far as I'm, uh, as far as I know, BOP for this year is f- pretty fixed um, because they haven't been able, you know, SRO haven't been able to perform their BOP test at the start of the year like they normally mm. would. Um, so part of the part of the thought process when we were looking at the Porsche and stuff was looking at the success they've had at the end of last year. Um, and just the number, you know, there's not, like I said, there's not many Porsches out there, but if you look at something like the Spa 24 hour race, I think there was eight Porsches in that race. And I think they're all in the top 20, at what, uh, you know, in the, at the beginning of the race. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it, that was in all kind of, of it. exactly. And that was, in our, the, from that weekend, that that Spa Twenty Four weekend, that was kind of in our mind that that was the car we wanted. Yeah. Um, so did you know as far back as Spa that the Bentley program was ending? Then? Uh, we knew for a while. We knew for a while. Mm. It wasn't official, let's say, but it it was. You could read between the lines. You know, we, we spent a lot of time last year trying to, oh, I certainly invested a lot of time and effort into trying to help develop that car. Mm. And it never, nothing really ever happened. And when you, when that, when you get that, you've got to ask yourself why, mm. why nothing's happening, you know, and then you see the, it all starts to add up, you know, in the background, it starts to add up. So we kind of knew that that was coming to an end. It, it, and at that point, anyway, we were already looking at, you know, we were looking at other options. Um, because obviously it was a tough, it was tough and it wasn't the right car for us. Um, but yeah, going back, back to the question. Yeah. Um, sorry. That's right. Um, going back to the question. Yeah. The, the, the BOP at the moment looks, I think quite good for the Porsche. Mm. Um, it's had a lot of success at the start of this year with Dubai 24 um, Golf 12 hours, um, you know, and a few other races where it's done. Daytona did really well as well. Um, so I'm not, con- I'm not worried about, it. you know, I, I'm, I'm quite um, confident in the BOP system. You know, a lot of people, everyone likes to moan about BOP. Um, it's favorite topic for every driver. That's probably race the biggest weekend. thing that I've learned in kind of my maiden season. Yeah, everyone loves to know about BOP. Reddit BOP. BOP <laughs> is what it is. It 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 does what it needs to do. Mm. Um, it's always going to need a little bit of tweaking here and there, and certain cars are always going to be favourable, even though they achieve the same lap time. They're always going to be fa- You know, they're going to portray that lap time in different ways. Um. And some of those things make it harder or easier for a driver to race with, mm. you, know? you know? If it's easy to achieve that lap time, then that's that's what we want. That's the ideal. Um, if that lap time is achievable, but it's not easy, then that's definitely not, the, you know, and that's, that's, that's kind of where we were with, the, you know, let's, let's roll, you know, if you roll back to like last year with, at Donington with the Bentley, the first weekend, it was dry for qualifying, and we qualified quite well. I think we qualified second in my group, in my session. Um, 
which was kind of unheard of at, for Donington with the Bentley because mm-hmm. of the two hairpins at the end of the lap. You can't get new traction. Mm-hmm. Um, then you look at the the race after you know we had the second weekend at Donington. The BOP hadn't changed, but we were slower. Mm. And the only reason we were slower relative to other cars was because it was so windy. And the Bentley was more susceptible to the wind because of the yeah. size. Yeah. yeah there's, got, there's a lot of material there to catch yeah, the wind. Yeah, exactly. You know, so we were much more affected by the wind than, let's say, the Lamborghini or the McLaren, mm. much smaller cars. Yeah. BOP hadn't changed. They were still doing the same lap time, but we weren't. <laughs> and it was just purely that. So things like that, it's, it, you know, it's the, it's all the things you don't often think about, you know, how good is the car in the wet? BOP doesn't matter if anything in the wet, you know, it, it, it does, it really doesn't make any difference. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just purely how good the car is. Um, you know, so having taken all that into consideration, you know, that that's kind of where our, our decision-making process sort of came from taking into consideration everything we'd learned over the last year or so um, to, uh, to make the right decision. I'm Angus Fender, I'm a McLaren GT3 driver for Two Seas Motorsport and you're listening to the British GT Fans Show. So, Quo Vedis SF also adds, thanks, best of luck for the coming season and on a personal note, I'm super happy to have a 911 back on the British GT field. Yeah, we're. All, I think we're all pretty happy. <laughs> there is a theme through a lot of these. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a lot. There was a lot of love for the Bent. There was a lot of love for the Bentley, but mm. uh, you know, I, I personally do. I'm a fan of Porsche. You know, and Porsches as race cars. The RSR, I love the RSR. Um. So yeah, I, I, you know, I I'm super happy to see a Porsche back in British GT properly. Mm. When I first came into British GT, there were multiple Porsches running at the front. Yeah. Track I think that's speed. The, yeah. Um, that's, and that's then, the saddest thing. And then motorbase as well. And yeah, we had a few years where we didn't have any and it's became an Aston Fest for a while, didn't it? And then is, is in it the a last couple of years. A Porsche in it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean there was a time and it was only Porsches. <laughs> Yeah, first, first first race was an entire portion, basically yeah. Carrera Cup, wasn't it? <laughs> basically, yeah. So yeah, I'm hoping to bring a bit of that, bring a bit of that sort of nine yeah. eleven fans back back to British GT. Yeah. Well, the next question we have is from Twitter, uh, and it's a handle that you'll probably recognise if I say it's from FF Fan Twenty Two. Yeah. Who asks? How did the Donington UK shakedown go, and what were your first impressions of the new Porker? Uh, the shakedown was what it was. Um, quite literally, a shake. It was a shakedown. It was just a rollout to make sure everything worked um, as we wanted, as we planned. Um, really, didn't do any performance running. It was purely just uh, getting the car see how we feel, see if there's anything we want to change, like, you know, driver, just driver ergonomics wise, you know, do we want to change the seating position, pedals, all that kind of stuff? Do we want to mess around with anything like that? Um, First impressions. Yeah. Car feels, feels very nice. feels like a finished product. Um, Mm. And 
something that you know it's enjoyable it's enjoyable to drive um you know it's and it's fun which is what it should be yeah i caught a glimpse of the video that british gt uh twitter and facebook did today um it was only a very brief glimpse as i was kind of catching up between uh bits but it certainly already looks very shiny yeah i mean nick uh there's some onboard of nick driving at Mm. donnington um and that was his first run out in the car um literally his first his first session in the car but already you could you can see from the video he's you know he's he's confident in the car it's confidence inspiring um so he's he's happy to push already you know and we're we've not even scratched the surface yet so yeah everyone's everyone's feeling very positive he looked properly on it through the chicane onto the melbourne loop yeah no he 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 was he's been good this week was um you know like i said we haven't really done any performance running as such so it's been kind of just getting to grips with everything and understanding how the systems work how the driver aids all work and things like that and what what we're going to want to do with everything um but no he's already like i say he's already comfortable yeah we're both pretty comfortable with the car already Mm. you know it's just a it's a quality piece of equipment and i'm really looking forward to seeing how it stacks up against you know all the other all the other machinery in British GT. Obviously, we see how it all goes. Yeah, we see how successful it is in the uh, around the rest of the world. So I'm uh, keen to keen to make sure it's it's competitive here. Well, racing through our questions, uh, our next one is from Phil Kinch, and it came in via Discord. Uh, and that is what challenges did 2020 present with the pandemic and its effect on going racing? Were there any challenges or changes that you had to make in order to go racing other than the expected ones? Um, personally, it didn't affect obviously our racing as much, um, obviously other than just the, you know, the delay. Mm. Um, so we all we all sat out of the car for you know normally at the start of the year we would try and test reasonably regularly um you know every sort of couple of weeks or so you know try and do at least a day just to keep yourself up to speed yeah um and obviously then we 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 were lucky that we got the opportunity to go and do the gt world challenge test in paul ricard at the start of last year and that was quite literally the day we landed was the day of lockdown when we came back um so we were lucky to get that test um but then we didn't drive for a long time we didn't drive again until like may or june time or something like that mm. it was quite a long break um so that was really the only thing that sort of changed for us was just that having to reset you know other than just the, the you know the laborious stuff you know like rebooking your hotels and things like that it's just nothing you know insignificant things if you like but it's just things that were sort of an inconvenience if you like and trying to reorganize test dates um so that we end up going to the tracks we're gonna you know before we're racing them and things like that yeah um but no for for, for me personally no um there was no real difference you know the, the biggest the biggest difference really was the the lack of fans at the circuit 
Um, and you know, not, not at the circuit, but in the paddock mm. more than anything. Um, it was uh, you know a shame that we weren't able to share that, you know, and that the fans only get to see the cars from the side of the track. Um, so yeah, we couldn't interact. You know, normally garages, back of the garages, you know, it's like it's, it's, um, you know, it's busy. It's, you know, the fans are there asking questions and we're, you know, we're, you, you know, you're talking with people most of the, most of the weekend. Mm. Um, and we just, you know, we missed out on that last year. Um, so that was the biggest, the biggest thing to adjust to really was just kind of being there. If it, it kind of felt quite eerie in the paddock. You knew that people were there watching, but you never saw any of them. <laughs> it was odd. Is is there going to be an impact of not having a media day test this year for you guys, or will you just replace that with a with a private test somewhere? Yeah, I mean, we, historically, we've oh, I think we've only done I've only been to media day once for British GT. Nick traditionally has been to the media day on his own. Mm-hmm. Um, because we don't find it that um, that meaningful in terms of a test day, um, because we only get you get two sessions, and they're mm. only quite they're quite short sessions as well normally. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of not great value for money for the day if you like. It's nice to go and do it, and obviously try and get the car some exposure with with the with the media, you know, with the with the photos and the the tracking shots and things like that. Um, but in terms of meaningful testing, no, it's, it, it's kind of it's kind of a non-event. So we 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 generally do replace that day with a with a with a test day anyway. Hmm. Okay. But no, I don't think it'll affect us this year. I don't think it will. It, you know, we like I say, we don't traditionally go and do that do it that often anyway um so yeah i would say no it shouldn't do there's been several changes that have been made due to the pandemic um that are going to carry through to this year and quite possibly beyond are there any that you think could actually be a positive for the series Mm. not that i can see no, is a lot of, fine answer. <laughs> there's not. There's not. I, I understand. Obviously, these things need to happen, and you know there are things are put in place so that we can keep racing, um, which is obviously something we all got to be grateful. You know, grateful for. for you know, certainly on a personal level, I'd, you know, very grateful to 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 be racing at this time. You know, um, there are a few downfalls. I think. Um, not having a a driver's briefing in person is detrimental, I think, mm-hmm. to driving standards. Um, especially when you've got a lot of new drivers coming into GT4. Yeah, so they've been done virtually at the moment. Then they're being it, it's or essentially a well, no, it's essentially it's a you know we get you get sent a um, a PDF, you know with the briefing notes, which we normally get anyway, Hmm. you know, you you normally get a, 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 you know, a a briefing pack that you take to the briefing and it's essentially got everything in it that they're going to talk about. 
what we do miss out on is the end the opportunity to raise any points um you know amongst the drivers and amongst between the drivers and the organizing body mm. you know between us and SRO and British GT you know if it's anything we're concerned about you know then it it you know we can raise that in front of the group as a collective yeah and we can discuss it which we can't we haven't we weren't able to do last year and i think there was a few times where things could have been avoided if that had have happened mm. so that's i would say that, you know that's to me that's one of the big set drawbacks if you like of of the the things that have been put in place but yeah not not a massive fan of the whole the way it's yeah it is what it is unfortunately yeah you know, we got we got to we got to live with it um like you say for probably for the foreseeable um i think uh i think we all just would like it all to go back to how it was yeah let's say if we said in our last episode that lockdown three has kind of felt almost infinite in some ways <laughs> yes like it's never gonna end <laughs> one was all right two was pushing it three has well, one was, like first one was like a holiday wasn't it everyone was like great we haven't got to go to work hey don't know what you guys are on about this is my first lockdown i've been a truck i've been a truck driver for the first two so <laughs> it's been business as usual for me i think i think i didn't go to work for about two weeks and then slowly got drip fed back to work it was like oh actually we're really busy actually still i think you should you should come back right <laughs> So. Hi, I'm Mia Fluitt. I'm a GT4 driver with Balf Motorsport and I'm happy to be joining the guys on British GT Fan Show. Please follow them on social media at BGTF Show. So our next question is from Tippy UK in Reddit, um, who's asking about uh, the series setup and especially I think probably with the addition of uh, the GTC getting a little bit more uh, numbers in. Uh, are you happy for the series to stay multi-class, or would you rather have separate races? Uh, no, I think I think it being multi-class is what makes it what makes it British GT. Um, you know, GT is multi-class racing. Mm. You know, sports cars are it's, it's a multi-class discipline, um, and it's part of the skill as a driver. You know, as in your stint, if you're coming across slow traffic or being or being overtaken by faster traffic, um, part of the skill is trying not to lose time and trying to use that traffic and manipulate your position to to um, get an advantage over your competitors. Yeah. Um, it's part of the race. I was going to say, I've seen, um, you know, in the relatively short space of time, I've come back to. Um, kind of this kind of motorsport some of the races last year were just absolutely phenomenal especially where you'd got the situations where there was traffic mm. um, and just watching it it was just yeah some, sometimes you can really see the the skill of the drivers especially the exp- their experience you know some mm. of the more experienced drivers you can see how they use the traffic to their advantage a lot um, and, and equally you know GC4 drivers can use the gc3 traffic when it's coming past them to get a gap yep you know um as much as t- to the 
to the disgust of the GT3 drivers when they're on a <laughs> when they're on a fast. Yeah, when they're when they're trying to steam through, they just believe that everyone should just get out of their way. You know, now I've been on both sides of the fence. I can um I can appreciate both sides. No, I mean when I was you know, when I was in GT four obviously I would use the GT three to try and help myself. Mm. But and and you know I I don't get frustrated by the GT4 traffic now in GT3 because I've been on the other side. Yeah. You know, and everyone's everyone's running their own race at yeah, the end of the day. Absolutely. There's no the, GT4 and GT3 are they're just as important as each other. So there's no there's no priority system just because the GT3 start at the front because they're faster doesn't mean they're more important to the show or to the you know that our race is more important than their race. So yeah, I everyone think that's has to really, respect each other. Yeah, it's a really important a point to make. Do me a favour, Sarah. When you're putting together the promos for this, use that as a soundbite and tag Hayfisher in it. <laughs> yeah. So we <laughs> see more of the GT4 race on the on the coverage. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it would be nice. To I mean, actually, it, yeah, especially towards the back end of of last year, um, when obviously it was less and less likely to be able to to go and see anything the amount of frustration that nick and i had while we were trying to you know follow what's going on because it the lack I, of I, coverage you know, just reduces the amount that you can say it does yeah i i understand you know at the end of the day gt3s pay more in entry fees and that kind of stuff and obviously i understand the gt3s probably draw more of the crowd um but the racing in gt4 is just as good and sometimes it is actually a little bit better because they are a little bit more able to race mm. than the gt3s um, it's, on some it's of like the circuits. pure racing isn't it on some some of the circuits it, it is and it isn't i would mm. say i would say the bop in gt3 is very very good in mm. terms of the spread between the manufacturers mm. gt4 i think needs a lot of work <laughs> There's some cars are very overpowered compared to others at different times. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't need to be majorly overhauled or anything. It's just, I think, understand. I think the problem is with GT4, the cars are so different to each other. You know, comparing a McLaren, you know, 570 to mm-hmm. a Ford Mustang and trying to get them the same mm-hmm. is an impossible, mm-hmm. thankless task. Um, as as I've as I've said before, referencing the McLaren and even your Mercedes, they're down to supercars, and they're racing against, the, say, Ford Mustang, but or an M4, and an up to <laughs> middle management salesmobile. Yeah, and the, the problem <laughs> no with that to is Nathan, no, but yeah, <laughs> but but the problem with that is that they. They to do that same lap time mm. or similar lap time. What the one has to be very very overpowered in one area, and the other has to be very overpowered in the other mm. to achieve that same lap time. And at certain points of the weekend, that becomes very it becomes impossible for one or the other to compete. And I'll give you a good example is um somewhere like spa 
where you've got a huge straight. Sector one is essentially just an enormous straight. Yeah. With Eau Rouge in the middle. Oh, just 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 a straight, just Eau Rouge in the middle. Nothing nothing serious. Yeah, but that's just a little, <laughs> little kink, isn't it? It's nothing major. And then but essentially it's nearly flat. You know, it's it's a it's a you know, it's a it's a long, almost flat out run from there. Is it bit. nearly flat in a GT four as well? In some GT fours. This is the point I'm coming to. <laughs> okay, right. I'll shut up and learn here. <laughs> this is the point I'm coming to. Okay. So the McLaren, for example, and the BMW in 2018 mm-hmm. were something like 1.1 seconds faster than the Mercedes in Sector 1 alone. For the Mercedes, Eau Rouge is flat. For the Mercedes, for the McLaren and the BMW, it's not because they're travelling that much faster. They have to slow down more to get around the corner. Because so, of that but then in, source. yeah, because well, they've got they've just got so much more get up and go. And you look at the speed trap difference in GT3s. Mm-hmm. Speed trap differences are pretty minimal, like two or three mm-hmm. miles an hour between the whole group, you know, across the whole uh, grid. Whereas you mm-hmm. look at GT4, you're looking at probably like a ten mile an hour difference between the front and the back. And trying to that's fine if you just look at the the lap time. Because the Mercedes is like a, it would be like a second faster in the middle sector than the McLaren or the, G, or the BMW. But then, if you then try and race those cars together, mm-hmm. it's impossible for the, the Mercedes to race against the other two because you cross the line together. And then by the time you get to Lacon, you're over a second behind. And then you and spend then work, the rest of that it. lap getting back to the way you were. And even if the other person, the, the other car makes a mistake, you're, you know, all they've really got to do, the strength is, is just slow down a bit in the corner because that's the bit the Mercedes is good at, for example, or the Janetta, mm-hmm. I'm a good example, really good in the corners. Mm-hmm. And then they just disappear up the next straight. And you've got no, there's just no way you can race it. So while they do the same lap time, it's not great for the race. Um, And I do feel like there is more they can do to to make it not just the same lap time, but actually make them more even around a lap. There's, There's a few bits and pieces I think that could be done, but that's not my problem. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, just very sore. I'm just very sore about it that's all <laughs> you're in a gt3 car now sro's got load of data on gt3 they've got that one right yeah no gt3 bop is very very good i, I would say very very good mm. when you look at it you know generally you know at any track it's it's pretty good so mm. Now, the last question that we've got from our listeners, because we had a couple of others which have been kind of already uh, answered really in the in the course of our chat so far today. So um, those who've asked them, sorry, but it's already been answered. <laughs> um, but Opal23 uh, want, wanted to know how you can get a job in British GT. Now, I did go back to ask for a little bit more clarification um because that's pretty vague um pretty broad yeah and we settled um 
with that for someone wanting to get more involved um kind of with the driving side of things perhaps or the mechanical side of things are there any hints or tips that you would offer um i would say gain some experience um in like club club events and things like that if you know as as a start if you're starting from from you know from zero essentially um then i would say try and gain some experience with some club level teams um that club level stuff that you know teams are always looking for people to help out um because you have things at a lower cost um so they're always looking for people you know that's a great way to learn and get experience hands-on um as, as like a mechanic something like that um as, a, as like a number two um, and obviously then once you've gained that experience, then yeah, obviously speak to speak to some of the teams, you know, potentially some of the GT4 teams and, and you know, see if you can uh, see if you can get some experience there as, as either a number two or being part of the, you know, the garage team, um, something like that. Um, but yeah, experience is everything. You know, you, you've got to you've got to try and gain some experience where you can. So starting at the bottom is is essential in that respect. You know, you, you the top you know GT cars are they're pretty sophisticated, complicated. Yeah. You know, cars and bits. You know, there, there's a they're pretty high end. So teams are always keen to have the most experienced and most um, you know successful um personnel around mm. them um so yeah the more experience you can gain the more knowledge you can gain the, the the better chance you've got of being involved in in something like british gt um you know it's a it's a it's probably the most competitive domestic championship in the world so i would say yeah experience is everything yeah hi i'm nathan freak team owner of Century Motorsport and you're listening to the British GT Fan Show. Find them across all social media at BGTF Show. So that brings us to the final section uh, of our episode and you've taken the brave option. (laughs) (laughs) You've chosen not to know what the quick five questions are. (laughs) I don't know if I've achieved or not here. (laughs) (laughs) All it means is that you haven't had a bit of time to think about them. <laughs> I, yeah, I was pretty best. <laughs> um, so whilst they are quick fire questions, you do not have to answer immediately. You can have a few seconds. <laughs> okay. We're going to edit out the gap. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, so the first question that we have for you in our quick fire question round are the best and worst cars that you have driven. Which can be road or race, and why? Oh, God. (laughs) Best and worst. Best race car I've probably driven. I'm going to say the Porsche, because I'm in love with it at the moment. So, yeah, that's going to be the best. Um, Honeymoon period. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Worst, worst car I've driven. I mean, can be a road some, car, not just the I've driven road some car. Pretty poor stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> I would say, 
maybe the worst car, or not the way, yeah, I think it was the worst car. It's a race. I could, it said it was a race car, the Aerial Atom. That was horrible. One of the most unbalanced things I've ever driven. So, yeah, okay. Aerial Atom, Aerial Atom Cup car, it was. Hated so, it. When you say unbalanced, you're just, are you just talking weight distribution or? Uh, weight distribution, just it, it, it had a. It had a manual road car gearbox, which was not the right application for something that had a Hayabusa <laughs> engine in the back of it. It was just everything. Everything about it was just not 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 right. <laughs> it was, I, I raced it at Alton Park uh, in 2013. They did a one. They invited me to come and do a race, and yeah, wasn't. I'm obviously th- grateful that they invited me to do it, but yeah, it wasn't the most fun weekend. <laughs> uh, so right. speaking of circuits, the next question is your best and worst circuits and why? Uh, best circuit, Brands Hatch GP, because it's close to my house. <laughs> um, <laughs> and... <laughs> And uh, and it's, I think it's one of the best tracks in the world. Out in the GP circuit, it's, it's a track you can't get on very often. Um, so yeah, it's something that's always a, a rare and special opportunity to drive around Brands Hatch Grand Prix circuit. Um, worst track, I would say Rockingham. Mm, just I used to just, like you. Just I know I I, I don't. <laughs> I was quite successful at Rockingham as well. Every time I went there, I did quite well. I just, I just, something about it. It's very, I just, I always felt like it's very grey, Rockingham. That was my overriding memory of Rockingham is just grey. And I feel like there was so much, there was so much opportunity with what that, you know, that, what they had that area, the space they had, even, even the, what, you know, even what was there in the end, there was so much opportunity, but I feel like it was never utilized. Could have been so much better. Nick will be quiet now. (laughs) Have you ever had a a sort of a hankering to go and race in the States? Yes. Okay. So it's not that then. Because rocking was a very American track in a very British setting. (laughs) <laughs> it, it, it is there, there's a so I just the layout was one of them the the MSA's funky rules about not being able to have two consecutive banked corners one after the other um, which always then restricted us to using that shorter layout um, okay. which, the, the, Brooks, the Brooks chicane at the end I'll, I'll give you that was a, that was a compromise and it was a compromise, a compromise it? yeah it's a compromise <laughs> and well the the, the 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 old first chicane was a, a bit of a disaster wasn't it so they had to get rid of that it raced um, very, well, very well with the Citroen C1 for the 24 hours yeah not, not great but with then, F3 though was it <laughs> <laughs> no not so much no, uh, but yeah, I, I just yeah, there was the the oval bit. Very wrong. I think there was you know that that could have worked without a doubt. I the just 
I just the rest of it, the rest of the layout, there just could have been it could have been done better, in my opinion. Mm. Um, but in terms of what it, uh, but you know, even from like a spectator point of view, great. Mm. You know, having the grandstand, being able to sit up at the top of the grandstand, and see the whole track, you know, mm. fantastic. But some of it you couldn't see because it was hidden behind elevation changes that were kind of not pointless, but I don't know. There were just bits and pieces. I just didn't didn't agree with it. The tarmac as well. Why'd it have to be so abrasive? Could never test there because you have to take about 10 million sets of tires with you if you want to do anything meaningful. It's two laps and they're destroyed. <laughs> just so abrasive. I understand why it had to be abrasive because they brought the tarmac from they brought the tarmac from America. It's the same stuff mm. they use on the ovals there. Hard wearing, but just kills tires. So yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a f- never a fun experience. Whenever I went there, I always found it quite quite not soul destroying, but just I was f- just disappointed. <laughs> just so disappointed every time I went there. I, I suppose my rose tinted spectacles, looking back at the different circuit that we used to have that was rocking and is mainly down to the fact I've never driven it. <laughs> yeah. It looks great from the outside. That's that, I think that's that's the that was probably my biggest that's probably my biggest problem. It looks great. It should be so good. But it's not mm. sadly. But I am sad that we don't go there anymore. That's that you know, I d I don't I think it's another we should have um it's a shame that we don't we've lost the track, you know. I don't, you know, I'm not a massive fan of going to the same track twice in a championship. And there you go. He is back in my good books. <laughs> <laughs> so the next question we've got for you is your three car garage. Oh, so God. This is your dream road, race, and play car. And you're not allowed to pick the Porsche again. I, 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 I've been asked this question a few times. And. It's one I really struggle to answer because as a, I don't know how, it's like, it's odd. Road cars don't, it's not my thing. It's, they don't do it for me. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you what car I would go out and buy tomorrow if I had the money to buy anything. Um, so I honestly don't your, know. What is your daily driver? Uh, I've got a Volkswagen Golf, a 1600 diesel. Yeah, you're not a car person. <laughs> you're a Sorry. racing driver. It's a tool. Yeah, yeah it's, it, it, you know, it's a it's a car. It gets me gets me to the track, and then I get to race a proper racing car. Um, yeah, I, I I don't I don't know. That's that's my honest answer. I, I I don't know what my three car garage would be if I'm if I'm totally honest. Race cars, like mm. I could. There's so many cars I would choose. As if I could just have race cars in the garage. All right. <laughs> um, so if we changed it to two race cars and a play car. Okay. A, play, a race car is a play car for this man. Yeah, I mean they're all play cars. <laughs> I so ninety six um, Williams F one, one of my all time favourite cars. I would love to just have that sat there, ready to go and drive mm-hmm. anytime. Um, and then probably the, uh, probably I would say the Mazda 787B. That's seriously cool. Kit a kit. 
just the noise, I think, just the rotary. I got you'd have to have, you've got to have a rotary engine race car somewhere. So that's what mm. I would choose. <laughs> yeah. You've got an open wheelie, you've got a sports car. Yeah. How about GT. you round it off with either a, either a touring car or a um... uh, I don't do touring cars. No, 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 no. <laughs> Not a touring car okay. person. Okay, Not pick a, a car GT, person. which isn't a uh nine nine one point two. Uh, RSR. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the new one, the uh, the one where they flip the engine round. No, I like the, the previous generation, the Screamer. Yeah, it's a bit quieter now, isn't it? They've got turbo. Hmm. I prefer the, the the screaming flat six. So given how much he struck given how much he struggled with a three car garage, how do you think he's gonna deal with this one? <laughs> <laughs> God. <laughs> so our last question for you, Scott, um, is one that was donated to us by our partners at the Checkered Flag. Uh, yeah, here we go. <laughs> have you listened to any of our interviews previously? I have, yeah. Okay. Well you'll be expecting this question possibly then. You've been given an elephant. You can't give it away and you can't sell it. So what do you do with it? Can't give it away and I can't sell it. Nope. What do I do with it? Mm-hmm. I've no idea. I really don't know what, <laughs> what I'm supposed to do with that information. <laughs> oh, no. No idea. I'm lost. What have we had so far? We've had. Well, it's going to be a stage vehicle for Rick Parfit Jr. Yeah. I mean, obviously. <laughs> to the point of it's uh, kitted out with lights yeah. and. Oh, yeah. What do you do with that? What do you do with that information? <laughs> yeah, um, Here's an elephant. Uh, bye. Yeah. Uh, Mia Flew is going to use it to correct the handling deficit at the front of the, of the McLaren. We interviewed her before the final round. So. Oh dear. <laughs> She's got it all worked out about how baby elephants have the right amount of downforce. Right. Sit one on top. <laughs> it, no, I mean, that sounds like something she would say. Uh, someone um, else was going to use it as their take it to the shops. Yeah, I, mean, I guess I guess if you you know if you were like living in the sticks in Thailand somewhere, then yeah, I mm-hmm. could see that. I'm fairly sure they were in a city, <laughs> oh. <laughs> which just made oh, it Tom- even more hilarious. <laughs> Tom Hornsby was going to make it a, a community elephant, wasn't he? Oh yeah, he's going to put it, it out in the, in the local park. Brilliant! <laughs> what an answer. <laughs> Oh dear! Okay, you've had some ideas. Well, if I had an elephant where I lived, it wouldn't. If it had wheels, they wouldn't. <laughs> it wouldn't be on it for very long. So if I left it outside, so I'd probably lock it away. It's probably my answer. Right. I've just got this image now of people trying to steal an elephant. Yeah, they would. <laughs> they would. This is Basildon. This Basildon. They would steal it if there was an elephant. It would be considered rare, so they would steal it. <laughs> you're, ba- you're basil then now, are you? That explains yes. it. You know when I had that massive cut in my lorry's curtains, Sarah? Mm. 
I was in his yard. <laughs> <laughs> I was round, I, I was down the side of the Asda on the industrial estate. Uh, rough round here, mate. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I have visions now of you walking out the front of your house and finding your elephant on bricks. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly <laughs> I what just, I was just imagining some bricks left there. Yeah. Mine is an elephant. <laughs> I wouldn't leave bricks. <laughs> <laughs> Sell bricks. <laughs> so you, you, you're going to have to lock the elephant away for security. Sadly, yes. Yeah, you know, animal rights might have something to say about it, but as long as you I, leave I, it, I, and you know, it's got spacious. It's a free range elephant rather than free range. Yeah, yeah. You could potentially save yourself a problem here, though, because the wording of the question you can't give it away and you can't sell it. There's I mean, yeah, someone letting, letting it be stolen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think that's what I'm going to have to go with. I will just <laughs> leave it outside and look the other way. <laughs> <laughs> forget, forget to close your elephant lock and pop into the shops. <laughs> you said it before, didn't you? I, I don't have a picture of it, so it never happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Oh it's been an absolute pleasure to have you. No, thank yes. you very much for having me, for uh, inviting me. Really enjoyed it. Hopefully you have as well. Absolutely. I've no idea how I'm going to edit this down to anything less than kind of pushing two hours because there's just so much good stuff in there. <laughs> uh, but that's my job. <laughs> that is your job. <laughs> right. Well, all then that, that, that does remain, all that remains now is to say thank you very, very much to Scott Malton our guest for this episode uh, we wish you all the luck for the for the new season and of course to Nick and we look forward to seeing that lovely Porsche at Brands Hatch thank you very much for your time thanks very much guys thank you that's the end of part two of this year's first guest special if you've not listened to part one yet where we discuss Scott's career to date it's available now from your usual podcast provider along with all previous episodes And don't forget to subscribe to make sure you keep up to date with the British GT Fan Show. Thanks for listening to the British GT Fan Show. Remember, the show's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, redistributed or used in any other form without permission. For more information about this, please visit our website, www.bgtfshow.co.uk or contact us via our social media, at bgtfshow. British GT Fan Show is a Storm Vixen Creative and RPS driven media production. To find out more, visit our website at www.bgtfshow.co.uk.